Here we go. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Erich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and I'm so excited to be talking to Ashley Gad today. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we connected on Instagram, which is amazing that we connected because you delete your Instagram every other week. (laughs) And so I hit the jackpot. I connected on the week that you were there, one of the weeks that you were there. But you just came out with a phenomenal new book. It caught my eye right away. It's beautiful. And the topic about creating in the margins of motherhood is such an important one. So this is called Create Anyway, The Joy of Pursuing Creativity in the Margins of Motherhood. I love that the name is a signature. I think that's so cool and unique, just a beautiful book. And it caught my eye and then it caught my heart. I really, really loved it, Ashley. So thanks so much for taking the time to be here. Could you tell people a little bit about you before we dive into this incredible book? Sure. Well, thank you so much for that warm welcome. And I I love that. It caught my eye and then caught my heart. That feels like marketing copy I could put on something. So thank you. (laughs) Um, Yes, I'm my name is Ashley Gad. I am a writer and a photographer. I live in Northern California with my husband, Brett. We've been married for 15 years and we have three kiddos ages 11, 8 and 4. And In my spare time, I run an online community for mothers called Coffee and Crumbs. I don't really do that in my spare time. That takes up a lot of my time, but Mm -hmm. that's that's pretty much me. (laughs) Yeah. So people can find you everywhere. So you've got your website, ashleygad.com. Your photography site is so beautiful. And it was really cool. I looked at your photography site after reading your book and about how you sort of went back and went into this approach of going into people's homes and capturing their everyday So that's ashleygadphoto.com. And I loved seeing that because I just saw it, just capturing the everyday moments in people's homes. And it's just stunning. And you have your Coffee and Crumbs podcast, which is fantastic. And so this book just came out in March. And I know that people are absolutely loving it. I loved it from the very get-go. This quote, that starts it out that says mothers shape love and macaroni and sleeplessness and soap into young men and women over the course of many years. Is there a greater art or more powerful patient creativity than that? From Brian Doyle. Wow. I was like, stop me in my tracks. Wow. What a quote. This Second I read that quote, I immediately I was reading that book while I was already working on Create Anyway. And it was just one of those perfect moments where I just knew immediately that has to go in the book. That has to be the first quote in the book. It's just yes. it sums it up so nicely. And it's just gorgeous. It catches your attention. You've just got beautiful photography in here. But a big premise of this book is motherhood versus creativity. And I think that so many of us think it has to be versus motherhood versus creativity, but you tell a different story. What is your view on motherhood and creativity as opposing forces? Yeah, I think when I, you know, when I first became a mother, that's the only way I could see it, right? Was that motherhood was taking away time and energy and passion Mm -hmm. from my creativity. And my creativity was taking away time and energy and passion from my motherhood. And I spent Hmm. a lot of years in those early years of, you know, the fog of motherhood of, of just transitioning into being a mother and then having another child two years later 
I spent so much time wrestling with this idea that I couldn't do both, but I wanted to do both, you know, and wrestling with that idea that I I couldn't really fathom, obviously, can't give my children up. So art <laughs> kind of falls onto the other side of the plate, right, as the only option. And yet it didn't really feel like an option because to give up my art, to give up my creativity, to give up writing, to give up photography, to give up all the things I love to do that make me feel alive, you know, would be giving up a part of myself. So Mm -hmm. this book is really kind of the culmination of, you know, I've been a mom for 11 years. I still have so much to learn and experience about motherhood, but I would say Create Anyway is sort of everything I've learned in my first decade of motherhood of really leaning into the idea of turning that narrative on its head, you know, and Mm -hmm. leaning into the idea that my motherhood can actually bless and inspire my creativity. And my creativity can actually bless and inspire my motherhood. Mm -hmm. And once I kind of was able to move past that scarcity mentality, that both of those things were like siphoning each other off, you know, that there was actually such a value add in letting them blend together as messy as it is. And it often is. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of the premise of the book. Yeah. And it makes me think like, don't we want our children to have these sort of creative, interesting, unique mothers? Doesn't that make their life more fun too? And more interesting that we're all Mm -hmm. a little different and we're pursuing these things that we love. And one of the things that's really cool about the book is that while you were writing it, you were also pursuing a new creative act, something that you were a beginner at. So can you tell us about your film photography? Yeah, I would love to. So it's funny, when I first started learning film, I wasn't, it wasn't connected to the book. I just wanted to learn how to shoot film. And interestingly enough, learning to shoot film and the desire to learn to shoot film came up during my morning pages. So morning pages are a practice that Julia Cameron swears by. It's the practice of writing three pages of stream of consciousness thoughts first thing in the morning. And I will confess, I have like a a love-hate start-stop relationship with that. So I don't want anyone to think that I've been doing that for years and I do it every day. Not at all. But I've gone through fits and bursts of wanting to do morning pages. And when I happened to be in a good habit of it, I just kept noticing that over and over again, that was coming up in my random journaling in the morning that I really wanted to learn how to shoot film. And so I set out to teach myself how to shoot film. And I mean, I did not know anything. I bought a used camera off eBay and watched a bunch of YouTube videos and Googled my way (laughs) through it. I mean, it is crazy that this is the time that we're at in the world, though. I have childhood memories of winding it, Mm -hmm. you know, attaching the little there's little holes and you got to put them in the little prongs and then you got to wind it. But now people have to go to YouTube. They've never done it. They've never done it. I'm a self-taught photographer digitally. So I have a DSLR and I've had multiple DSLRs for years. And I, I've i gotten quite equipped at handling a DSLR camera. But yeah, shooting film is actually so different. You wouldn't think it's so different, but it is so different. And a lot of the rules are flip-flopped with film and digital. Ooh. And so it was quite a learning curve for me. And as I was learning how to shoot film, it was actually just so fun because I was really living out so many different parts of Create Anyway in the practice. You know, nice. I was learning a new thing. I was taking risks. I was 
trying something I wasn't good at. I was having to keep Mm -hmm. my perfectionism at bay and just kind of putting in the work, putting in the discipline of learning a new creative skill. And it was so fulfilling for me that when it finally came time to actually design the book and talk through, I always knew there were going to be photos in the book, but it wasn't probably until we were kind of halfway through those conversations that I threw out the idea, what if... You know, we only put film photos in the book. And then that's kind of representative of the journey of learning film. And it kind of really speaks to the idea of create anyway in real time. And Mm -hmm. so my editor really loved that. And I was fortunate enough that they gave me some extra time to put all the photos together, Um, you know, Film photography is just an incredibly slower process than digital. I can shoot a bunch of digital images in one afternoon and have them edited and ready to go. And film, you know, you have to send your images to a lab. You have to wait for them to be scanned. It's just a much slower process. And so I'm really thrilled that we got to do that for this book. Mm -hmm. It just, it meant a lot to me, you know, even if it doesn't mean a lot to other people, that meant a lot to me. But I think that it does. And I think that, you know, when you talk about you love to find the light, you follow the light. And the book is very light. All of these photos, every single one I loved, every single one. Thank you. It was definitely something that made the book even more endearing. The photos are so beautiful. And it was so neat to think you were learning something new as you were writing this book. And I think that leads to this thought about perfectionism. You have a lot of information about here about being a perfectionist or a beginner, like the same Mm. type of thing. You're like, you know, I don't want to start because it's not going to be perfect. And you had a really cool quote in there. Be willing to be a bad artist. If someone is willing to be a bad artist, they have a chance to be an artist. And perhaps over time, a very good one from Julia Cameron, I thought was such a cool quote. So you have in there, you have this phone time peanut butter cup trick. You know, it's about <laughs> minutes in the seat. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. Uh, you know, such a big part. I think that oftentimes, if you maybe don't identify, you know, as a full-blown artist, I personally believe every human being is creative. But for the sake of this conversation, we'll talk about kind of the idea of being an artist. I think there are so many notions of being an artist that are over glamorized and maybe oversimplified. I think that oftentimes when we think about an artist, we think about a writer, we think about these like moments of inspiration, you know, where the muse just arrives and we just churn out a magical piece of art. And it's just this really like sacred, amazing experience. And while no doubt that does happen super occasionally, very, very rarely. It does happen. I don't want to discount that. What happens more, I believe, are artists, writers, etc., putting their butts in the chair and working on their craft. Mm -hmm. And that is the unglamorous, it's the unsexy part, but it's such an imperative part. And when I think of you know, over the span of time, specifically with writing for me of where and how I've grown as a writer, I've really grown in my stamina and my endurance and my mm. my ability to sit down in the chair and do the work. And so sometimes wow. I still don't feel like it. And that's where the phone timer and the peanut butter cup comes into play <laughs> because I am not above a bribe and I am not above bribing myself. And sometimes... You just got to do the work. And for me, occasionally that looks like putting a peanut butter cup on the edge of my desk and I set my timer for 30 minutes. And after I write for 30 minutes, I get to eat it. 
<laughs> I love it. Well, and I really related because you talked about now, see, I have a camera and I've mm -hmm. always wanted to be a photographer mm -hmm. and I'm just really not good. I'm not that good. And I try and get better and I try and take these courses and I have succumbed to, oh, oh, if I just had that lens and then you get the lens and you're like, wait a minute, this is me. <laughs> and so I liked you, you talked in the book about how Look, I spent all this time researching the lens. I bought the lens. I spent all this time researching. You talked about signing up for some sort of a writer, like a, you know, some word editor or something like that, the fancy word processing program or the masters of fine arts. And you're like all that time that I've spent chasing those things, I could have been actually creating and getting better. And so I really, really related to the buying photography gadgets instead of taking pictures. And so in that vein, you had really good advice about taking inventory of what you already have. So what might that look like in someone's life? Yeah, I mean, it depends on your craft and what you're interested in, you know, so a gardener is going to look different from a baker is going to look different from a photographer. But I think so often we discount what we have inside of us. You know, photographers mm -hmm. need more than just a camera and a lens. We yeah. need imagination and we need wonder and we mm -hmm. need a hunger for light and we need the ability to pay attention. We need the ability to wait for a moment. We need patience. A photographer needs all kinds of things that are not related to the gear. So I love to just encourage women to just take inventory. What's inside you? What's in your heart? What's in your mind? What's in your soul? What do you bring to the table? Even when you're totally empty handed, you know, we are going to need some stuff to yeah. be creative, to make things, to create art. We are going to need some supplies, but more often than not, I think we so quickly are just looking sort of, I mean, I know for me, I used that as procrastination, you know, with photography right. where I was spending hours upon hours in these random forums on the internet, just trying <laughs> to figure out what was the secret sauce to making me a better photographer. Like I was missing it. There was a golden ticket out there and surely I could find it on Amazon if someone would just light the way. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, the truth is what I really needed to become a better photographer was patience and practice. I needed to yeah take more pictures. I needed to try and fail and try and fail and try and fail a million times. And then mm -hmm. somehow my pictures did get better. I mean, mm -hmm. that is the secret sauce. It almost seems too good to be true, but there is something really incredible that happens when you just commit to doing the work. Right. And that goes all the way throughout your book, because then you also have this burnt candle thing where you've collected all of these candles. I'd love to hear about that. And actually it was really cool. I saw that Presley now does it. She has her <laughs> candle. I'm raising a diva. I'm raising no, a diva. That's your modeling. And I think it's actually really cool. So, I mean, that's another similar thing, how you use these candles and then you had such gorgeous pictures of them. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm, I am not a hoarder in the slightest. I am the anti-hoarder. I'm the only anti-hoarder in my family. I should clarify. I pretty much live with a bunch of hoarders, but I'm not a hoarder. And yet while I was working on Crete anyway, I had this one day, I think I was only working on the book proposal and I had a candle on my desk that had burnt out. And when the little kind of like puff of smoke came up, I just realized in this moment, I was staring at it kind of mesmerized, realizing how many hours and hours and hours and hours I had already poured into this 
book and I was only in the proposal process. It was still so early and it had already just consumed so much of my time, so much of my energy, my brain space, my passion. And I just really wanted to commemorate the act of writing. Mm. Every day when I sit down and I write a candle, it's not like I'm churning out 2000 words. I mean, sometimes I sit down and I write a candle and I write absolutely nothing. I sit there and I I write two sentences and then I delete them and then I stare at the wall and then I just like <laughs> yawn and then I write two words. And you know what I mean? Writing mm-hmm. is a mess sometimes and it's not easy and it's not simple. And I wanted something to commemorate the time that I had mm-hmm. spent. So it's not related to word count. It's not related to any kind of specific output other than minutes that my butt was in the chair and I was writing. And so I ended up keeping every candle that I burned out while I wrote the book and I kept them in a bag in my closet like a hoarder, which is very against my tendencies. (laughs) But that bag became so special to me. And every single time I added a candle to it, I could hear it like plunk in the bag. And it just blew my mind at the very end. I decided kind of early on, I'm going to keep all these candles. And when I'm all done with the book, I'm going to take a picture of them on my dining room table. And that is what I did. And it is one of my, it's my favorite picture in the whole book is the one you can see my feet in the bag of candles. And I... I haven't actually printed it and framed it yet, but I want to. I'm going to print that and frame it in my bedroom. Just as a reminder of how much time truly went into this book and how really, you know, none of it was wasted. Even the days that felt like it was all a waste because I wasn't moving forward, none of it was wasted. Wow. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com 1000 hours. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 
to get 50% off. And the candles are in here more than once because they're also in the back cover, which mm -hmm. I thought was a really, really cool ending. I just absolutely loved the picture where they're in the basket and your feet are in there. And really neat that it's a reminder that our children are watching because mm -hmm. I saw the poster, Presley's painting. You know, she's little. Yeah. She's got her candle. So they're watching. She is now she is now demanding a candle when she makes art. <laughs> Just mama, can you light my candle? Like, oh, goodness, if there's two of us using candles in here, every time we make art, we are going to burn through our collection a lot faster. <laughs> well, that's really sweet. I thought that was like a really big connection point, I think, that anyone could do. It's a celebration. All those burnt candles are a celebration. And mm -hmm. it means that you've put time towards something that you're passionate about. And so people could do that with anything when they're baking, mm -hmm. when they are playing music. So I think that's just a really, really cool idea. The candle hoarder story. <laughs> it's a good one. You say the more we create, the more we create. So just things that are flowing into each other. Okay, I had a couple questions. All right. Mm -hmm. There were some things that came up. And I was like, Ooh, I want to know more. So when you're talking about sort of this imposter syndrome and fear. You mm -hmm. said this one sentence, feeling that I had somehow conned my way into a book contract. Mm -hmm. And I want to know that story. <laughs> um, yeah, I so I've been writing on the internet for a very long time. I actually just did the math recently. And I've been writing on the internet for over 14 years. And at some point, you know, I really feel like I I'm trying to think of exactly how I want to articulate this. It's almost as if I had labeled myself hmm. an internet writer. You know, this is a woman who writes online. I'm proud of a lot of the writing I've done online. I don't discount it. It's not like book writing versus internet writing is all that different. But I, in my head, it was. And in my hmm. head, I belonged in one column and I didn't wow. belong in the other column. And so when Create Anyway started to take shape and really take up a lot of space in my heart. And all of it was very God-led. I, I felt very compelled, very nudged, very spiritually moved to pursue this project. And when I started taking the steps forward, doors were just flinging open left and right. And mm. while I firmly believe that was God's provision over this project, there was still so much doubt all along the mm -hmm. way, right? That me, these publishers want to meet with me. Don't they know I just write on the internet? Don't they know I'm not, I'm not even a real writer. <laughs> you know, I, wow. I told myself so many stories and I'm thankful that by God's grace, I was able to just keep going and silence those voices in my head that were telling yeah. me pretty much all the time that someone was going to figure out that I'm a fraud and I don't, I, I don't actually know how to write a book and I'm not actually a very good writer. And um, you know, I would say I battled that in the yeah. two years that I was working on this book, those voices creeped up all the time. Wow. You know, they were there, they were present. Yeah. I mean, wow. I'm happy to report Isn't that like interesting. <laughs> You've been writing for 14 years. That is a long time. And yet you had long to sell time. it to yourself. Totally. More than once. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And now you're in both columns. You're an internet writer and <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny too writer. because even even with the book, you know, um so many times along the way my literary agent, my publisher have asked, "Do you have another book idea? Do you, is there anything else cooking in there?" And 
I was so quick to say all throughout the process, no, 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 no. I'm a I'm a one-trick pony. I'm a one-hit wonder. I don't even know how I'm doing this. There is going to be nothing else after, you know, for sure. And then lo and behold, exactly six weeks after Create Anyway came out, I sat down in my backyard with a notepad and I started writing down ideas for what I think might be another oh, future book someday. Ashley, the more we create, the more we create. <laughs> this is right. how it works, right? <laughs> yeah. So no one is a one trick pony. Everyone's got more. If you do it, mm -hmm. more is going to come. I love that. Okay. So then I had another question, which relates to that because you started with a health blog. So you said right now you're at ashleygad.com. And mm -hmm. before that was where my heart resides. And before mm -hmm. that, it said health blog, <laughs> but it didn't give the name. And I want to know the name. Oh, I will tell you the name. I'm so mortified by this, by the way. And I and this is not out there anywhere. I mean, I'm sure if you Google it, like nothing will come up because I my husband has erased. He's promised me it's all been erased. <laughs> um, I had a blog called a hearty dose of health.com. <laughs> and the I reason this is this is truly so hilarious is that I am not the epitome of health. I mean, most people who know me, I I'm I'm not terribly unhealthy, you know, mm -hmm. I try to take care of myself, but I am not, I am not the poster girl for nutrition. I'm not the poster girl for exercise at all. So it's hilarious to me that that was actually my foray into writing on the internet was a health <laughs> blog. Who That's was cool, that girl? <laughs> I mean, it's good. I People need to know that you start somewhere and you don't know where it's going to end up. So you just start and you keep going. Yeah. I had one other question that I'm not quite sure I think it was answered, but I couldn't totally tell. So you had this funny story about being at a play group and talking about, you know, that sometimes we just feel like imposters and we don't know what we're doing. Will the real mother show up? And someone says, who brought the grapes? Why aren't they cut in half? And it's in quotes. And then after it says, I brought the grapes, but that was not in quotes. So I wondered if you said it out loud, or if you just let it lie. No, I did not. Um, I did not claim ownership over that mishap. <laughs> that was my that was my silent my silent monologue of just who brought them. Yeah, Nobody knows. I don't know, you guys. Who did bring those grapes? What in the world? How did those get in here? I mean, that yeah. is when you know you are a genius parent, though, because I have done the same thing. People will be like, "Whose kid?" I'm like, "Oh, I think that's my friend's kid." I don't know. <laughs> not mine. Not it. <laughs> who brought the grapes and didn't cut them in half. I don't know. <laughs> I love that story. Okay. You answered my main questions that I had lingering after reading this awesome book. But, you know, I think that this thought of imposter syndrome and fear is something that so many people deal with and also the fear of feedback. So mm -hmm. this is something that comes up. People don't take a step because they think, look, people are going to slam me for it and I'm going to get hate mail. And you mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. But you talk in there about what happens afterward. Mm -hmm. Can you talk us through the feedback thing? Yeah. I mean, I don't even want to oversimplify it. But when I think about this idea, right, I think about fear. I think about the courage it takes to put yourself out there. And I think about the risk. You know, creating mm -hmm. is a risk. Sharing your art is a risk. Right. It does come with a reward. And so I think at the end of the day, all of us sort of have to weigh, are we willing to put ourselves out there versus living with the risk of regret, right? Mm. Because that's kind of what we face on the other side. Do you want to yeah. go your whole life not making anything because you're scared of what? 
like bad Amazon reviews. I mean, I don't know. I And I say that as a person who is legitimately scared of bad Amazon reviews. I'm not even reading mine. I'm too terrified to look. I haven't read a single one. So I say that with all of the compassion in the world because <laughs> I, I get it. Like I get, I get that fear. I get that insecurity. I get that panic rising up in your chest when you think about putting yourself out there vulnerably, when you think about putting your art out there into the world and you have no idea how it's going to be received. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely terrifying. I wish I could tell you there's just like a magic vitamin you can pop and you won't feel those feelings, but there isn't. You will feel them. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I've just gotten to this place where the risk of regret would be higher for me. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? To sit here and hide in my house and sit on the talents and the gifts that the Lord has given me to bury them in the sand, to shove them in my closet, to not use them out in the world. I think that's a harder feeling to swallow at the end of the day than Mm -hmm. just being scared of what people are going to say about your work. Right. Right. And if you do get slammed, and I think this is a cool thing in the book, and you talk about other people's experiences, that what they learn is that that wasn't too bad. Maybe it felt bad for a couple days and then I moved on. And you had a really cool... This book is really well written. It was like you would start a chapter with a story and then you would go to a different topic and then you'd weave back in that story. It was like brilliant every time. I I couldn't really wrap my mind around it. I was like, what is happening here? That is so kind. Thank you. It was really cool because then you related that to falling in the harness while you're doing a high ropes course. Like, okay, yeah, you're going to fall, but it's not going to be a catastrophic fall. Like maybe you fear it's going to be a couple feet and you're going to be fine and you're just going to move on. Even as we're talking right now, I'm thinking about my kids getting like the flu shot or whatever, you know, where you think it's going to be so terrible. Even me, I don't love getting the flu shot. I don't love getting shots, but you you work it up in your head that it's going to be this just like super terrible traumatic thing. It's going to hurt so, so, so bad. And then you go and you do it and it does hurt, but it hurts for 10 seconds and then you're fine. You know, I mean, it's just, it. you just, you move on. And I think right. so often we do that with feedback too. It comes in, it sucks, it hurts. You dwell on it for 10 seconds, sometimes more if you're me and you replay it over and over again for 48 hours, but whatever, the thing is. For the, or for the rest of your life, maybe. Yeah, like rest. you you still can move on at some point, yeah. you know, it doesn't sting forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that. I got a lot out of that. And I think that anyone will who is just scared to put things in the world because they might get bad feedback. That's really good advice. And then there was all this information about play. And I thought that this was so thought provoking. I also grew up, and I think a lot of us grew up, you get get your work done first and then you play. And then you had this whole section about, well, what happens when your work is never done? Goodness, this is what's happening, right, Ashley? It's like our work is never done. You say, I have yet to live one day when I am fully caught up on everything, if there is always more work to be done, when exactly are we allowed to play? So tell us your scooter story <laughs> and kind of what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it really is such a huge question. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. Are you into I'm familiar. Okay. I'm familiar. I know. I'm too so old. I'm, that's okay. No, I'm a, so I'm a type three, if that helps any listeners just kind of peg me in a box a little bit that I am, I tend to lean workaholic and that's my Achilles heel. That's my weakness is that I tend to work myself into the ground if I don't have Mm. any barriers around me. And 
this idea of play has really come up a lot with my workaholic tendencies because Hmm. I have more often than not convinced myself that play is basically nothing more than leisure and leisure Mm -hmm. has to be earned. And where I feel like I've actually gone so wrong in that is that I actually do think we can work ourselves out of creative inspiration. When we decide we're going to be locked to our laptops for 10 hours a day, and we're going to be like just hunched over our screens and our keyboards for hours and hours and hours on end, and we're never going to have any fun. Who wants to make art that way? I mean, and what kind of art can you really even make that way? Because that's not very inspiring for very many people. (laughs) And so it's almost like when I think of play, I think of living. I think Mm -hmm. of living. I think of being outside. I think of doing things that delight me, that bring me joy, that make me laugh. And none of those things I feel when I'm just on a laptop for hours on end. And so I would say I've been wrestling with this for a long time. And a lot of it is it boils down to just a lot of heart stuff that I have going on about my identity and what my work, you know, means to me and how I how I've wrapped up so much of my self-worth into hmm. my productivity. And that has been kind of a journey with me and the Lord. He's been really untangling me from a lot of that. And I've been trying to make it more of a priority to rest and play, not because I've earned it, but because mm-hmm. it's just part of living. It's part of being right. alive. It's part of, it is part of making art. And my sweet husband, um, my son Everett, I don't remember, this might've been for his eighth or ninth birthday. I don't remember if I said in the book, but he got a scooter for his birthday and when we take walks around our neighborhood almost every night when the weather is nice and we were out for a walk and I had this like compulsion to get on his scooter. I don't even know what to call it. I just all of a sudden said, you know, Everett, can you hop off? You know, can you give me, let me, let me take this first spin around the block. And I got on that scooter and it was like something unlocked in my chest. I just mm. felt like a child. I felt so free. I felt so uninhibited and like Mm -hmm. full of wonder. I don't know. I just scootered all around the block (laughs) as long as he would let me take it for a little spin. And I had kind of joked to my husband, like, I really want one of these, you know, kind of playfully as a joke. And then for Christmas, he actually bought me my own. So I now have my own pink scooter and I still ride that sucker all around my neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love because you thought you were getting a vacuum. I thought I was getting a vacuum, but I was actually very excited, which should tell you something else about my personality. I sound like such a buzzkill. <laughs> but that is, a, that is the work play thing, right? Totally. But I think yes. it, goes, it goes right in line with this question of, is creativity essential? Like This is sort of mm-hmm. one of the main premises of your book, which is like, yeah. is creativity essential to human flourishing? And I think play would be a similar thing. Is it essential? And I think both things can seem very frivolous a frivolous mm-hmm. use of time. And yes. yet you're talking about what are the inputs? What are we mm-hmm. putting in so that we can pour out later into our communities, into our mm-hmm. children, mm-hmm. into our art and all of those different things. And so I think it's a good reminder. You say our kids don't ask for permission to play or mm-hmm. create. They just do it. So we should follow their lead. It's not frivolous and we should do it as well. So I really love that. Get a scooter instead of a vacuum (laughs) is a good story. (laughs) And really just this thought, I liked reading that you said, I have yet to live one day when I am fully caught up because Mm -hmm. that's how I feel too. So everybody must feel that way. We're never caught up. 
So you just have to make some decisions about how you're going to use your time. You had the best advice in here on community. I've never read it anywhere else, Ashley. Never wow. read it. I was so glad that you said it because I don't know. I think when you have an internet presence, people ask you questions. You get emails. They want to know about your life. And a question that gets brought up so often, or even just a comment, it's very sad, Ashley. People say, I don't have any friends. Yeah. And you say, all friendships start with an invitation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really big statement. Mm -hmm. Tell us your advice on building community and starting friendships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if there's anything I have learned in my adult years about starting and kind of maintaining friendships, it's that it is always easier to invite someone than to sit around waiting to be invited. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of compassion for women who are afraid to put themselves out there. I mean, it's kind of like what we were just talking about with the feedback and the criticism, right? We're scared of rejection. We're scared that if we mm -hmm. ask people to spend time with us and they say, no, that is going to hurt. And, and it does. And it, it does. does happen. It, it absolutely does happen. happen. I cannot tell you how many people have said no or how many people have said yes and then they don't show up or mm -hmm. how many people have said yes and they show up once and then they never show up again. So, totally. that, so then that's working all through your mind too. And totally. there is a lot of that. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com outside for 15% off your first order. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot, and for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code OUTSIDE120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. 
That's code OUTSIDE120 at goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120, code OUTSIDE120. There is a lot of that. So I want to acknowledge the reality of that while Mm -hmm. again, honing in on this idea of the risk of regret that if you sit around and just wait for people to invite you places, you could be sitting around for the rest of your life. I mean, Mm -hmm. I hate to say that, but this is truly one of those, the ball is in your court situations. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you, I tend to be the initiator in a lot of my friend groups where I'm the one that sends the text. I'm the one that plans the things, you know, let's go to dinner. Let's go see a movie. Let's do this. Do you guys want to come over? And I tend to be the one who's kind of just constantly throwing out invitations. And oftentimes, you know, when the answer is no, I, at this point, I would say I'm so used to not receiving a yes every time that I can just brush it aside and move on. But the number of times that that has actually turned into a yes are a ton. I mean, I spend a lot of time with my girlfriends. I go on trips with my girlfriends. I go out to eat with my girlfriends. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I've initiated every single one of those, but I have initiated enough to feel like I have really made a contribution to the relationship. I have made the first step forward in drawing somebody closer to me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, I I would love for more women to do that. Just send the text, plan the thing, Mm -hmm. invite the person. Mm -hmm. It's really not, that hard. You know, if you can, if you can start getting momentum with it too, you'll get better at it over time and it won't even be as scary. And people love to be invited, even if they can't come. It makes them feel thought of. It makes them feel good. You write in the book, I beg you, (laughs) I beg you, take the matter into your own hands. And I love that. I think that this concept of going first, which you write in the book and John Acuff, who writes a lot of business books, but books about relationships too. He says, go first and give others the gift of going second, which I think mm-hmm. is a cool way to look at it too, right? You give someone else a gift and that maybe they can try, it helps them be brave mm-hmm. and they can invite the next time. Yeah. And this part of community led to really touching parts in your book about infant loss, uh, about miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that for a little bit. I can. There this beautiful beautiful writing the seven weeks i mean i i read it over and over again it is just so touching mm-hmm. you know that someone would think you know i lost a baby at five weeks and it was only the size of a sesame seed and do i have the right to grieve and then this one says seven weeks but enough time to dream and wonder what will the eyes be and enough time to download the app enough time to fall in love i mean how beautiful mm-hmm. and so you talked about it in the sense of by having this community, you had people who would come and help. And that was hard Mm -hmm. to be the one that's on the vulnerable side, but it really did a lot. So Mm -hmm. how can we, mm, how can we take those steps to be the helped instead Mm -hmm. of the helper? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was, I mean, I think for many years, I resisted help because mm-hmm. I don't want to put people out and I'm super independent and I'm really good at taking care of myself and I like to be strong and I like to be capable and there's so much pride wrapped up in what I'm telling you right now but that is the truth of the matter is that I would always rather be the person helping someone yeah. than be the person receiving the help it makes me feel weak it makes me feel needy and I don't like mm-hmm. to feel weak and I don't like to feel needy and I think what I've realized over time is that 
number one, I'm not putting out my friends who want to come bring me dinner after I had a miscarriage. That's not putting them out. If anything, holding them at an arm's distance while I am in pain is actually really just hurting both of us, right? Mm. I'm refusing the help. I'm sitting in my own sorrow and I'm lonely and isolated in that. And I'm making, I'm pushing my friend away, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I think so often of how I feel when I get to help someone. I feel good when I get to help someone. Not that it's about me and how I feel, but when a friend is hurting or a friend is going through something and I am able to actually come conjure up a tangible way to help them, serve them, bless them, be there for them, that Mm -hmm. is a gift to me. And I know Mm -hmm. it's a gift to them. It's always a gift when someone shows up at your doorstep with food. That's a gift, right? Right. And so by declining the help, resisting the help, what I'm also doing is I'm declining the gift that it would be for them to feel Mm. like they could actually do something when in actuality, they can't really do something. You can't do something about my miscarriage. You can't Mm. bring that baby back to life, but you could feed me dinner. You could feed my kids. You could take the pressure off of what we have to make tonight. You could take money out of our grocery budget that I don't have to think about right now. I mean, we had food dropped off nonstop for weeks and it was a huge blessing and a huge gift. And I think that by the time I had my miscarriage, I had already had three kids. So I've been around the block, you know, motherhood speaking. I've gone through lots of things with these three children and... I think I wrote this in the book, but I I honestly think that if I would have miscarried maybe with my first or, you know, before I had had so many experiences of being helped and of helping others, I would have not told anyone and I would have not accepted any help. I wouldn't have even wanted any help. And Mm. this time around, it was just like, yes, 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 yes. Mm. You can bring me dinner. Yes. I had to go to the hospital at I mean, the crack of dawn, like 4 a.m. And my friend, um, it was one of those situations where like the kids had to, you know, what are we going to do? Load the kids up and wake them up at dawn and bring them just to drive me to the hospital. I couldn't drive myself home. And um, I asked a friend who I knew woke up early. Like she wakes up early every day. And I just, I texted her, can you drive me to my DNC? I I just need a ride. I need a ride at the crack of dawn. Can you do that for me? And she was honored that I asked her, you know, mm-hmm. and that was, I'm going to cry. Um, that was like such a small detail, you know, just yeah. like literally I needed someone to drive me 10 minutes in a car. Um, but it was everything that she didn't yeah. even like, she did not even flinch, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, that just meant so much to me and I, I won't ever forget it, you know? And mm-hmm. I just think like, I'm so glad that I'm in a place now where, time and experience has taught me that I can ask for help and I can Mm -hmm. receive help. And in doing that, it's a gift to myself and it's also a gift to my friendships. Sorry. It sure is. Aw, I loved that in that part, you had the story about Presley and she was trying to put on her puddle jumper. And it's like, (laughs) she didn't want help. She didn't want help. She didn't want help. And then she got stuck because she's like, okay, I get my arms through. You can just see a two-year-old's mind working, right? I get my arms through, but there's no way I'm going to be able to clip the back. And that you just sort of reach this spot where, and I think this is a lot of times what happens in life, where you have to have the help. There is no other way around it. And Mm -hmm. I think then you learn that it's a gift, like you said. It's a gift for everyone. And community is so beautiful. I got 
that out of your book about creativity. I was, this book has a lot in it. I was impressed. A lot of Thank beautiful you. chapters and a lot of beautiful stories and a lot of things to think about. Each chapter ends with creative exercise, a journaling prompt, and artist highlights. That was a cool thing. I love Rachel Marie King. She was right at the beginning. And so you got these different artist highlights throughout the book, which was that hard to pick? Um, It was really important to me to highlight different types of artists who are making different things, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm very much a writer and a photographer. And a lot of the anecdotes that I use throughout the book are writing and photography related, but there's so many other types of art that different women can make. And so I just, yeah. yeah, wanted to be able to highlight that throughout the book so that hopefully if you're not a writer and you're not a photographer, you would still be able to read the book and kind of find something in it for mm. you and maybe expand your definition of what creativity even means. Mm, I love that because you had little things in there like bake your cake and Rachel talks about entrepreneurship, which mm -hmm. I was so surprised to read that in a book about creativity, like entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's a creative act and music and it does it expands your mind as to what counts and I loved how you wrote in my book paid or unpaid seen or unseen yeah. these things are all important I want to talk about my favorite chapter okay all right my favorite chapter is throwing glitter this was my favorite chapter I absolutely loved it I loved all the chapters but can you talk about can you start with your mother-in-law I just love everything <laughs> about your mother-in-law I love her too. Yeah, my mother-in-law, she is honestly one of the most supportive, encouraging people that I know. And she also has this delightful habit of wrapping every single gift she ever brings into my home in glitter wrapping paper. And I don't think I've mentioned this, but I'm kind of a clean freak and kind of a neat freak. Obviously, I was very excited to get a vacuum for Christmas that turned out to be a scooter. <laughs> and I was only moderately disappointed that it wasn't a vacuum. <laughs> so my mother-in-law is constantly bringing over these like glitter wrapped things and the glitter gets everywhere. I mean, it gets on everything. There's always a trail of glitter after she leaves. We'll find it months <laughs> later, just in the couch cushions. It's everywhere. But because my mother-in-law is so supportive of just really like everything I do, I, I kind of started equating throwing glitter as sort of this way to express the idea of supporting and encouraging other women in their creative endeavors or in whatever dreams they're pursuing. And so that's kind of where the throwing glitter story began. Yeah, I just love it because you relate it to lint picking. Mm -hmm. So it's like you could be one or the other. So what would yeah. an example of a lint picker be? Yeah, a lint picker. That's a term coined by Julia Cameron, who I've quoted a few times in this book. I just really adore her work. And she talks about lint picking as this idea of kind of just, I think the story that she told or like the specific scene she painted was this idea of you're all dressed up and you're ready to go somewhere and you're feeling really marvelous. And then somebody comes over to you and just picks lint off your outfit. And it's just this idea of having someone kind of pick apart you know, mm -hmm. the stuff you're doing and pick at, pick at you and pick at your work and just not being able to see the whole of what you are yeah. creating, of what you're trying to do, but just kind of wants to criticize and pick apart at the little things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the thought of what do we want to be? Do we want to be right. a glitter thrower or a lint picker? And these sentences, these are ones that you store in your heart. I feel like you say for all the times I've battled comparison, 
I have never once regretted being generous with my money, my time, my likes, my shares, my comments, my praise, my encouragement. You say, if I live to be 95 years old, I hope to have a hoarse voice from a life spent cheering too loudly for those around me. I want to leave a trail of glitter, just like your mother-in-law. And then I would say that the sentence in the whole book that stuck out to me the most, and it's such a good book, but the one that I've got all the stars by says, if what we feed grows, this is what I want to feed, my capacity to celebrate others well. Mm -hmm. Wow. And this is what you're doing through your Coffee and Crumbs community, through this book where you include other women. So as we're sort of wrapping up here, I'm sure people would love to know a little bit more about what you do with Coffee and Crumbs, what you've been doing with it for the past decade plus. Sure. Yeah. So Coffee and Crumbs was a space that I started back in 2014 when I was a new mom. I had an 18-month-old. I was pregnant with my second baby and really just kind of in the thick of it, in the trenches of it, and was starting to look online for more places to submit my own writing about motherhood. I wanted to write I wanted to write essays about what it was like to be a mom. And back then when I was looking for that, I, you know, I think nowadays there are so many beautiful motherhood websites out there where women are writing really honestly and really vulnerably about being mothers. And Mm -hmm. back then we, there just weren't a lot of options out there. So I kind of set out to create the space that I myself wanted to submit my writing to. And so our mission has always been from the very beginning, um, you know, we just want a place where we can write honest stories about motherhood to make other women feel safe, known, encouraged, and loved. And Mm -hmm. we have a really high value in our space on encouraging women. And we also have a really high value on the literary merits of the work. We're all writers. We identify as writers. We work really, really hard on our craft. So we're a lot slower paced than I think a lot of the other websites that are out there. Like we're not pushing content. You know, we're out there. We're really trying to create art that is meaningful and poignant for mothers in this time. Wow. And so then what has the podcast evolved to be? Yeah. So the podcast was kind of a, I feel like when we started the podcast, you know, nowadays everyone has a podcast, but back in mm-hmm. tw- well, it's just like we- how everybody used to have a blog. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it, it feels very much similar that in 2015, you know, our readership was growing rapidly. And I had um, one woman on our team, Leslie Miller, she had kind of brought it to the table, like maybe we should start a podcast. And at that point, I mean, Coffee and Crumbs was still shaping itself, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, yeah, why not? Like, let's, if you want to do it, let's experiment, let's try it. And so we launched a podcast and that has grown a lot over the years and women seem to really resonate with the work that we do in that space. So that's just kind of another another form of storytelling in a sense. Mm-hmm. And we're actually working on a narrative podcast right now, which is not yet done, but that Ooh. has been really cool to work on. It's been very challenging in that like learning film, right? I don't know anything about this. I've been podcasting for a long time, but I've mm-hmm. never done a narrative podcast and it's completely different. It's very slow. I'm actually just now in real time syncing up all the parallels between film photography and the narrative podcast because there's a lot of similarities there. But mm-hmm. yeah, we're working on that as wow. well right now. And that's going to be a really, really compelling 
storytelling, story-driven narrative through a podcast. And I'm really excited about... We're telling other women's stories through that show. And I'm excited to finally finish it whenever it gets done. But it's kind of the... Mm -hmm. It's like the little project that could. We've been working on it for literal years and it is uh we're we've got two episodes done so it's slow slow moving but like the film it's really neat you live what you write you live what you write and i like i said the book fed my soul i cried through it i laughed i loved it and constantly was like what wait what what did she just do here what how is this story (laughs) wait this and what it is just so uh, amazing the writing is is really um impress it's masterful it's masterful writing is what i would say because you're constantly weaving these things and coming back and weaving back and i don't know and to a point where you're like wait what what?" (laughs) it's so incredible so you know to see someone who is a master at what they do so here you go you're in both columns internet writer book writer ashley gad if people want to find you i'll put all the information in the show notes and the book is called create anyway just came out in march the joy of pursuing creativity in the margins of motherhood i like what you wrote in there you said i wish this was a book i would have read nine years ago or you know when my kids were little you wrote the book that you wish you would have read Mm -hmm. and so i think that all mothers would get a lot out of it because as you create you're not only filling your own soul but you're also modeling for your kids and you can see that Mm -hmm. through the things that you post so Ashley, this has been awesome. We always end our podcast with the same question. What is a favorite outdoor memory from your childhood? Oh, from my childhood. I spent my entire childhood in the pool. So my uh, my parents own a swimming pool business and we had a pool in our backyard. It was our whole backyard. You walk out, there's like, you know, two feet of concrete pool and then a fence. <laughs> I mean, our entire backyard was the pool. And, um, oh my gosh, I just was in it every day. I had blonde hair as a kid and my hair would just be green every summer, Mm -hmm. just pretending to be a mermaid, diving down to the bottom of the pool, hair swirling all around me. And that, that is my favorite memory. Just being Mm -hmm. in my pool. (laughs) I love that. And I love all those interesting careers. Like you grew up in a family where you had a swimming pool business. So what, what kind, you know, and there's all sorts of cool different kinds of swimming pools and shapes and that's super interesting. I love it. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for taking this time with us and for writing such a beautiful book. I can't wait to hear about the next one whenever that one gets announced. I know you said you're jotting down some notes and some ideas and the more we create, the more we create. So can't wait to read it. Thank you so much. This was a delight. And if I had any shred of imposter syndrome today, I feel like you really just squashed all of it. So I appreciate all your kind words and your your just generous encouragement. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. Real truth alert. Pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were. But the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone. 
that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.